Hey everybody, it's T with the UFOs Want to Tell You Something. So this week I've got Preston Dennett on with me. We're doing an interview with him. Awesome guy, one of my favorite researchers. Intelligent, he's got good answers to shit. We go over the interdimensional hypothesis. We cover government, the UFO phenomena. We go over a lot of different stuff. UFO healing cases. Preston, I just want to thank you for coming on again, and feel free to come on anytime. I want to thank the Ghoulies again for Hot Rods from Outer Space, and I just want you guys to share this to everybody out there. Alright guys, let's get it. Preston, how are you? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, yep. cool. Yep. Sorry, Zoom's decided now is the time to update. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Mine was doing that earlier as well. <laughs> how have you been? Oh, good. Yeah, doing well. How about you? I've been doing pretty good. I, I see you've been doing a lot of interviews, so busy guy. Yep. Yep, I love it. It's a lot of work, but I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So, let's see, where to start? So I guess because our last one didn't record, let's just start over. Say, how did you get into this? All right. Uh, yeah, I came into this field um, not looking for it. <laughs> I was actually really skeptical anything paranormal ufos life after that ghosts i didn't believe in any of it not for a second and uh didn't want to hear about it i just had no interest in ufos but that all changed in let's see it was november 17 1986 i remember it exactly uh i was in the living room i was like 20, 21 years old pretty young and uh, we were all watching TV. I have a pretty large family. There's eight of us, six kids. And uh, there was a lot of us there in the living room. And the news comes on and starts talking about this UFO sighting over Alaska. It's a pretty famous case. Uh, a lot of people know about it. It's about a, a Japanese commercial airliner. Uh, encountered two large UFOs, much bigger than their jet aircraft. Mm -hmm. and paced them for about an hour almost. So it's a great case, but the newscasters just kind of joked about it, uh, made, a f made a few jokes, laughed nervously and moved on. Uh, but they showed the pilot and remember thinking, wow, this poor deluded guy, <laughs> he could not have seen a UFO. There's just no way because aliens don't exist. Or if they do, they're not visiting our planet. But I remembered my brother, my older brother, Mark, said he'd seen a UFO. And for some reason, I just asked him about it. I mean, he had tried to tell me before, but I didn't listen. But now I was ready to at least listen. And he told me this incredible sighting. Uh, he was actually with his two friends and had chased this UFO down the street for about 15 minutes. It was very low level, metallic craft, 
colored lights, a dome on top, and uh, totally silent. A really good sighting. And I uh, could tell he wasn't lying. <laughs> uh, but I just, I'm like, wow. I mean, really? Aliens, Mark? Really? He's like, if you don't believe me, you know, ask Greg, ask Phil. Those were his friends. So I ended up talking to them and that started the ball rolling. I stupidly started asking other people and got a real shock when I found out my, let's see, my sister-in-law had seen UFOs. She later admitted she'd actually seen greys face-to-face. My other sister-in-law later told me that she had also had alien encounters as a little kid. I found out that I had a, a few friends who had seen UFOs close up. I brought it up at work. A lady I'd worked with for years said, yeah, she and her whole family had seen UFOs. Then walks Dorothy, another lady I'd work, I worked with. And she's like, oh yeah, UFOs. One chased us home from the library. So it hit home, literally. <laughs> I'm gonna say a good 20 to 30% of the people I, you know, I knew well had been keeping secrets from me. I was not happy about it. They had seen UFOs and weren't telling me. So it was a real shock. That's how I kind of got introduced to this subject. Yeah, I've noticed that actually recently as well. Um, since starting my podcast, I found that once you start talking to people, they start really opening up with you about odd things like that. Not even necessarily UFO related, but I had a kid from work telling me some ghost stories. Yeah, I, mean, I started hearing about ghosts too. Yeah. <laughs> Not immediately, but as soon as I'm like, I start asking anything else unusual like oh yeah well my house is haunted wait i'm like wait wait what <laughs> uh, See, that's what so, i was running into as well yeah there does seem to be a weird connection to some of this stuff uh, i think that people who are having encounters particularly if you're you now being taken on board and stuff that opens you up spiritually and uh it might attract other stuff or perhaps ETs seem to be attracted to people who are naturally psychic. Um, hard to say, but there's a weird connection there for sure. I was actually just going over, because I was doing another podcast too. Um, I was actually just going over the connection between ghost and the dead. Now, to me, there seems to be a very big difference between the two, because a lot of people like to link them together. Um, that is to say, the interdimensional hypothesis, I suppose. So, in other words, like Whitley Strieber would propose, aliens and the dead go hand in hand. Well, my interpretation of that was more of altered perception to calm the person, actually. Yeah, I'm right along with you. Jacques Vallée talks about that. He's like, maybe these aren't ETs at all. Maybe this is an intelligence that wears different masks know manifests in different forms and the people who think they are seeing spirits or ufos or bigfoot or what have you are really seeing different facets of the same phenomenon and i'm going to say no no way having researched all of this stuff in depth i am a big believer that ufos are extraterrestrial craft piloted by biological beings like us living on a planet and i think when someone sees a bigfoot that's what it is and a spirit you know if you see your deceased great grandmother or what have you 
uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I'm not going to say every you know light in the sky is necessarily an alien, and I think there probably are interdimensional beings and probably a wide variety of what we would think of as paranormal entities. Because yeah, angels probably real, uh, demonic spirits yeah, I've met really nasty hauntings, and these. Yeah. Are, Sorry, Preston, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily human spirits. But I think we're dealing with separate phenomena that sometimes have striking similarities. Like a UFO abduction has a lot of similarities to a near-death experience. That does not make them the same thing. No. And you know what? I actually covered a few of those things earlier. Um, that's one of my favorite things to cover, and it seems to be one of my more popular podcasts, is UFOs and the paranormal, two separate phenomena are one and the same. And earlier, I actually covered, let me see, because I was actually going to ask you the questions. <laughs> it's, an, it's a paper by Jacques Vallée, and I answered them my own way as well earlier on my podcast, but five arguments against the extraterrestrial origins of flying objects. So... I guess we'll go with that. Number one, sorry, Preston. <laughs> Number one, what he's got down is unexplained close encounters are more numerous than required for a, a physical survey of the Earth. Right. That there's a big assumption there. Like, who says that's what their agenda is—a physical survey? Yeah, and they're inter yeah, they're interacting with us. For I think a lot of reasons, and our relationship is much closer. And yeah, surveying is perhaps one of their agendas. And just because they're here in large numbers, I mean, means nothing. They can be their their craft are very advanced. They can travel from star system to here instantly. So I don't see how the numbers of the encounters has any bearing on their origins or what they are and to say that just they're numerous so what how does that defy the extraterrestrial theory at all i don't see that, that. Was my argument against that as well is i was saying so they obviously have some form of agenda of what they're doing, which I do not find to be malevolent. Okay, I don't go like a Dr. David Jacobs way of this or anything. I think that we don't know what that is. They still could be taking people for testing and things of that nature, as well as, you know, hybrids and such. Um, I don't think that it's just, as he puts it, a physical survey there seems to be more going on to it and that was my argument against that as well yeah i mean they're healing people how they are monitoring them on a constant basis they're communicating with them they're educating people they're doing all kinds of stuff and it's not all about people they're collecting plants they're collecting animals they are surveilling our technology um, there's all kinds of reasons for them to be here in large numbers. Oh, I agree completely. There was another one that really, I, I just, it kind of irritated me. <laughs> <laughs> the human body structure of the alleged aliens is not likely to have originated on another planet 
and is not biologically adapted for space travel? Uh, well, you know, I have to say I thought that way myself. When I was a skeptic and heard about ETs, I'm like, this sounds like Star Trek. Are you kidding me? Aliens that look like us, that seems highly unlikely to me. This was a complete assumption based on humans. And uh, I don't think we have any scientific basis to just assume that we know what ETs are going to look like. And the fact is, the reports are of humanoids, almost universally. And uh, we don't even know about our own origins. We're not necessarily well suited for this planet even. There's some, been some really interesting research into how we're not perfectly suited for Earth in terms of you know temperature and gravity and all the bacteria and viruses and so forth. Uh, and the fact is, all like I said, the humanoid reports are almost universal. So we're kind of stuck with the evidence is the way I look at it. This is what people are seeing. And just because they're seeing something that's humanoid does not mean they're not humanoid. I mean, how can you say that? And well, I, what about well, what, what about the fact that many of these ETs look just like us? I mean, seriously, they look human. Uh, it's not just greys or praying mantis or strange humanoids. There are some that look just like us. So perhaps our relationship to them is, a, again, a lot closer than we, you know, we might theorize. We call them aliens, but are, they are we aliens? You, know? you see what I'm saying? Well, I see exactly what you're saying. And you know, I kind of struck a similar chord with that earlier. Now, this one strikes home with me because I do a lot of, I want to say, astrobiological implications of what happens to our bodies in space. And even the most layman people on this realize, not to sound boastful, by the way, realize that we lose our muscle mass, our bones become weaker, um, you know, our blood rushes to our head in many ways. They seem to be, on an evolutionary level, adapted to space. And that is what I get at. Now I'm doing more research, and I have, I'm planning to eventually do a presentation on that. But everything that I'm finding is making a lot of sense that points toward that. And actually, yeah, some of the contactees have been told that, that the Greys did actually manipulate their genetics to some extent to facilitate space travel. And again, I'm back to the point like, well, how do we even know how much time they're spending in space? Uh, we don't. How do we know that they're out there living in space? Like, it's absolutely possible they're just living on other planets and they hop over here in a matter of minutes or hours or absolutely. who knows, seconds. So that's, a, again, a false assumption based on what? Where's the evidence that ETs are spending time in space? Show me. A good point. Hmm. Well, I'd have to think on that one a little more, but I, I see what you're saying with that. Yeah, that could be just making a quick hop and a jump. 
Uh, Considering how their technology acts, I can definitely see that. Yeah. And again, we don't know how advanced these guys are, other than that they're far more advanced than we are. So perhaps they've got ways of dealing with that, with the you know problems of space travel physically. And I would have to think so. If UFOs have been observed in space as they have, and I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. We'd have to come up with something. So, yeah, there are some, I'd like to, I, I'm eager to hear what his other reasons are because I know of a few of them. <laughs> oh, let's get, I, I, <laughs> he's got about five of them. So we covered the two. Um, the extension of the phenomena throughout recorded history demonstrates UFOs are not a contemporary phenomenon. Now that I don't really know where he was getting with, because according to the ancient astronaut theory, of course it's not a modern phenomenon. Yeah, they've been around forever. So, uh, and I think if you look at it, uh, while perhaps different cultures didn't interpret them as ETs, they described them in strikingly similar terms. I mean, we see saucer-shaped craft in Egyptian hieroglyphics and medieval wood carvings. The Romans called them flying shields. Because that's what the... Yeah, I believe the, there was even a case in Egypt um, where they described it similarly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's clear that these guys, whoever they are, whatever they are, wherever they come from, have been manifesting in very similar ways for a very, very long time. So again, that, the argument makes no sense really at all to me. That does not defy the extraterrestrial theory. I didn't think so either. And I think what he's doing there is he's trying to draw parallels between the fey folk and demons and all this stuff when it could have just been misinterpretation. Yeah, and for that matter, I looked into, you know, fey, the fey mythology. I don't even want to call it a mythology, you know, in the fairy reports. And they're really compelling. And the more I look at it, the more I'm thinking, wow, this could be a supernatural, and I use that term loosely, entity that resides in perhaps a dimension slightly above ours. Uh, it's another type of entity, a paranormal entity that, People have tried to look into the extraterrestrial phenomena. And again, just because you have these short little creatures who appear and disappear, doesn't mean they're aliens. These could be an entity that's always been and still is on Earth. And I have interviewed people who swear up and down and sideways that they have seen fairies. And I'm like, wow, this is hard to wrap my head around. But if you look through various cultures, they've got all these kinds of supernatural entities throughout their history. And I will say that I agree with you completely on how you look at things. I think that it is extraterrestrial and that people, as you said, are misinterpreting the same event. So, like, I'm going to have Joe Jordan on. Are you familiar with him? I don't think so. I name does not ring a bell. So, he runs the Close Encounters of the Fourth CE4 Research Group. That's it. And 
it's the theory that extraterrestrials are demons and that calling out the name of Jesus will stop the abduction and that kind of thing. And I'm going to let him yeah. get on here. And yeah. sorry if he's listening, but that might turn into a little bit of a debate because the recent episodes I've done, I've already demonstrated how that is not the case. And Dr. Carla Turner talks about that, and that's that's one of my big ones. She's one of my heroes. Yeah, I love her research. It's clearly sincere and objective. And yeah, the demonic theory is one that I'll, there's a good portion of people who subscribe to that. And so I did. I looked into angels and I looked into demons. People were like, oh, they're demonic. Okay. By that same token, probably more of them would have to be angelic because that would be a stronger force than the whole demonic force. So why aren't you calling them angels? That would be my one, you know, one point I would like to make because a lot of people who come away from their encounters are not coming away destroyed. Uh, they're coming away tr spiritually transformed for the better, healed, physically healed. This is not what demons do. I've looked into demonic hauntings and they're horrific and they follow a very set pattern. This is not demonic. I did interview one lady in Maine who's had a lot of encounters and the ETs told her that who you thought were angels was us. You guys have thought we were angels throughout history, but that was us. So I think there is, like you said, some misinterpretation going on. It's an interesting parallel you did there because in Dr. Carla Turner's book, as we just went over, he flat out got told we are angels, but not as you've been taught. Pretty close yeah. to that. Yeah, and I have to say, there are people who've been visited by, you know, glowing figures of light who are benevolent and rescue them from, you know, illness or falls or, you know, a wide variety of situations, and they're interpreted as angels. And I cannot completely discount the possibility or even the probability that there are these types of non-human entities who come down and intervene in people's lives who are not extraterrestrial in origin. They're spiritual beings who sometimes manifest physically. And I remain open to that possibility as well. I just, like you said, I find a stark difference between the phenomenon. I don't think that a giant, please excuse the term, fucking witch's brew of crap is the appropriate way to go about things. I never understood that. Yeah, it's weird that people have a tendency to lump this all together. And uh, Jacques Vallée was not the only one, Jerome Clark, John Keel did that. Um, and uh, there may be one of the reasons on your list, which is the weird, you know, how strange the phenomena can get. Oh yes, absolutely. Because um, there are weird symbolic elements to it. Sometimes it does seem like your belief system might play a part or the culture that you're living in. And to how the seems to be the case because the last case that I went over for Dr. Carla Turner, the same one where they told her that they were angels, she was very religious. They even brought down a blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus who said, These are my angels, it's okay to go with them. So they were very dramatic about the religious aspect of her to make her almost at ease and comply a little easier with him. 
Yeah, you know, I scoured the literature looking for accounts where people like called on Jesus to end an abduction. And uh, I could, I only found a few. Yeah, the overall you know. phenomena does not reflect that. And I just put oh. an audio clip of a woman who, and it's also from Dr. Carla Turner's work. I do a lot of her research. She called out the name of Jesus in front of these two black cloaked, lemon yellow eyed entities, as she put it, and rebuked them, told them to go away. They didn't. Yeah. And right there, that's just one way to debunk it. Another way is they played on that lady's religious views to make it easier for her and for them, rather than, hey, we're demons, we're just going to take you. Yeah, and I have to tell you, I found far more cases of people who claim or report seeing religious figures on board UFOs, angelic figures, you know, Archangel Gabriel or Jesus himself. Uh, and ETs do have this ability to play to your belief system. They can put on a mask and sort of make you see what they want you to see. That doesn't mean they're not ETs. No, and I never understood that either. It's just they take it in such a weird way that everything's got to be a portal opening through the wall and abducting you. It's just got to be interdimensional, and I never bought into that. I mean, I need, it, it doesn't fit the overall experience as a big pool. I mean, you may have a couple odd cases, but as a whole, it doesn't fit. Yeah, and just imagine if you, know, you encountered someone and they started saying, leave in the name of Jesus, leave, leave. You know, at some point you might just leave because like, well, this person wants me to go. It doesn't mean that necessarily the fact they, you know, called in the power of Jesus was the driving force to push these peoples away. They must have just decided, well, this person is freaking out. Let's go. So, I mean, there's all kinds. It's easy to jump to false assumptions and false correlations. And the fact is, what about the crash retrieval reports? How would you explain these reports of alien bodies secreted at various locations across our planet? Hundreds of whistleblower accounts attest to this, a lot of them. And if we apparently do have this technology, like you know, Colonel Corso said in the day after Roswell, and a lot of people who are in a position to know have said, well, bets are off. We've got the craft, we've got the bodies. What more evidence do you need to say that these are biological beings? And yeah, yeah I mean, interdimensionality. Yes, I think they do probably have the ability to travel interdimensionally and have some of these abilities, but so do we. We have a soul. There is life after death. You know, you can have an, an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience and visit other dimensions. We have an interdimensional aspect. I'm sure they do too. I think they have a greater understanding and the ability to use it, um, even to the point of time travel. See, and that would be just a part of life. It doesn't mean that they have to come from there and things like that. See, one of my big arguments against it is if, 
an alien can just open a portal into your house and abduct you, why wouldn't they just take you out the same portal rather than a UFO if they're interdimensional? It exactly. always struck me as a little odd, and I think that's a big plot hole that a lot of people don't think of. Yeah, and the evidence is showing these are metallic craft because there are landing trace cases where they burn the ground, there's radiation readings and metal fragments in a number of cases. And the ground becomes hydrophobic, repelling water. I mean, there's a bunch of physical evidence and yet people still assert, like I said, and I've only heard it in an odd few cases where a portal opens and they take you through it. And that is always going to be my argument. Well, again, why, why the fuck would they need a UFO? Yeah. And what about implants? You know, if these, and I've got some good cases myself, and there's a lot of them out there in the literature. These are physical objects being placed inside people's bodies. How is that demonic? <laughs> How is that interdimensional? If this is a physical object that's metallic, it's appearing on MRIs, on X rays. Some of them are actually emitting electromagnetic signals, they're magnetic. Uh, eesh, this is the evidence really speaks towards the extraterrestrial theory. It's the theory which best explains the totality of the evidence. And I think part of the problem is there's is some of these separate phenomena that people are trying to like push together. And fairies are probably fairies. <laughs> no Bigfoot is Bigfoot. There's different things going on here. And they're not all E.T. And that, again, was one of my arguments with something like Skinwalker Ranch, for example, right? There's a lot of high, strange phenomena, but also UFOs. So what people love to do, and this has been my big phrase throughout my podcast, ghost plus Bigfoot plus Loch Ness Monster equals UFOs. When really, they could simply just be observing the odd phenomena and whatever energy it's putting on. It doesn't have to be linked the way people make it. Yeah, I think the high strangeness is probably the best argument in support of this sort of phenomenon theory. And the thing that bothers me most about, you know, Valet's, I don't know, if call it his theory, because John Keel and others have thought about this as well. But it's very anthropocentric. It's very much revolving around us as the center of the universe. And this intelligence is here to influence us. And history has shown us that we're not the center of the universe, that we're in fact just a very, very small part of it. And the idea that this phenomena is that interested in us and revolves around us doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And if you just go outside and look at all the stars, it becomes pretty darn clear that the idea of extraterrestrials is very logical. And if there aren't extraterrestrials, what are we? Who are we? <laughs> we are biological beings on a planet. I think we know that. And it makes perfect sense that we're not alone in that regard, that there would be other biological beings on other planets. I mean, it's almost inescapable. Yeah, there's thousands of exoplanets, some even Earth-like. I mean, exactly. it's just, 
incomprehensible not to even be able to hold a little bit of that theory. Yeah, one, one researcher describes an encounter where a person was taken on board and he's from the Middle East and there was a carpet on board and Middle Eastern sort of cultural aspects to his onboard experience. He's like, this shows how UFOs track cultures and that this means they're not ETs. And I'm like, hold on, hold up. <laughs> That's a big leap there uh, because I've talked to people, one lady I talked to, whose son did have an implant, which is showing up on x-rays. She was taken on board and there was carpet and there was a couch and the whole interior of the craft was sort of made up, dressed up like a movie set almost to look like a living room. And it was her impression that they did that on purpose. And that I talked to a contactee about this who is, you know, she's the subject of my next book. She's a totally conscious abductee. She hates that word, by the way, contactee, I should say. And she remembers her experiences without hypnosis. She's awake throughout them. And she says the ETs do have that ability. If you want to sit in a chair, their craft is AI. It's intelligent in and of itself and has the ability to, you know, shape a chair into what you want it to be or a couch, or a bed, or anything. Um, these craft are far, far more advanced than we even can begin to imagine. Uh, so when someone sees carpet on board a UFO, I mean, well, that doesn't, again, preclude that these guys are extraterrestrial. No, not at all. So let's, let's get the, the next one here. The apparent ability of the UFOs to manipulate space and time suggests radically different and richer alternatives. I didn't really know what to make of that one either, because if he's implying that UFOs have more advanced technology, that's kind of a given. Yeah, I would totally agree. And uh, I think that's what we would expect. If so someone has you know is visiting us and it appears that they are well we would expect that they would be technologically advanced enough to cross the vast distances between the stars and i think that's one of the main arguments that astronomers make is the stars are so far away that you cannot travel faster than the speed of light once you approach the speed of light you you know your mass increases and it becomes sort of a brick wall there's just no way to do it and that's true i think if you were to travel using propellants yeah. and uh, that sort of thing but it's clear to me that that's not how ets travel they are not flying as we would think of it they are we see them you know turning invisible they're turning at right angles they're not defying physics they're just doing things in ways we don't understand and because something is so advanced, it looks like magic, doesn't mean it's, it is magic. Uh, this, Arthur C. Clarke talked about that very early on. Any sufficiently advanced technology would appear to be magical. Can you imagine what you know, cavemen would think of a flat screen TV? And oh, they yeah. would just go out of their mind, like, oh my God, it's magic. <laughs> no. 
no, it's technology that we you know, can now understand. Uh, so I'm guessing that a lot of what we see is just going so far over our heads that we have a tendency to be like, hmm, <laughs> how are they doing this? You know, is this a spiritual phenomenon? Uh, I don't know that that's the right conclusion to jump to. There is a very strong spiritual aspect, a very strong com spiritual component to onboard encounters. But I would expect that ETs who are technologically advanced would also likely be spiritually advanced. Otherwise, you know, they would have blown themselves up to bits like we're about to do. See, and a lot of things that I cover, I cover both the warnings that people get of devastations, as well as what people are told in the sense of spirituality, in the sense of, listen, you're going to destroy yourselves kind of thing, try to be more peaceful, and then you go over, I don't, I don't really like to use the term love and light, but you'll find that people who have this experience, they're more humanitarian, um, they're doing a lot of good for the world kind of thing. Very interesting you say that, because early on I was starting to wonder, like, why are some people being contacted and others aren't? And the one pattern that became immediately obvious, and I think most investigators will agree with this, is that it does track families. There does seem to be a genetic component to this. The ETs are, you know, if they're taking you, they probably took your parents or one of them or grandparents or, you know, it tracks generations. We know this now. It's a very strong pattern. If you're an abductee, your child is very likely to have encounters as well. And that, but I started looking at like other patterns, like people are talking about, you know, blood type, RH negative, which does turn up, but it's not always there. And in fact, I've talked to people of all different races. It's evenly divided between men and women in my files, almost 50-50. It's got nothing to do with religion or political affiliation or you know where you live necessarily or anything and what i found finally was that pattern you uh just mentioned was actually your vocation your activities your job what you do on this planet because i kept running into social workers who are having encounters and i thought gosh this is odd Here's another person who is an animal rights activist. Here's another person who is a social worker. Well, this person's a doctor, a lot of doctors, teachers. Here's an inventor, lots of police officers, musicians. They kept turning up. I'm like, wow, all these people are doing really good work for humanity. And uh, one lady I talked to, she and her husband were driving along through Sedona and had a UFO land next to them and they had missing time. They thought they were abducted under hypnotic regression. They discovered that it wasn't an abduction per se. They were invited on board of their own free will. And it was very friendly throughout. They saw very much human looking ETs, though maybe better described as hybrids. They were bald and had large eyes, but looked very much human. And, it's, and the lady asked, well, where are you from? And they were evasive about it. They said, we are you know, 
from a place you don't know about yet, often they will kind of evade that question. But they said, why are you contacting us? And they said, we are helping those who are helping others. And we can't intervene too much because it's up to you to solve your own problems. And so I asked what they do and they live in Hawaii and they're very active in their community as herbal healers and alternative healers. And he's a social worker. So he's going around helping people and she's healing them. And there's that pattern again. I'm like, yep. And they actually asked and ET's answered. It's a very prominent aspect that appears a lot. Yeah. Um, I even find like uh, Debbie Jordan, for example, I believe it's Debbie Cobble now, but um, Bud Hopkins Intruders. She initially was frightened by the experience, the abduction, everything that happened. Same with Whitley Strieber. And you find that over time, they become more humanitarian and like that, and more willing for contact rather than the fear aspect. Exactly. It can start out really traumatic. And I feel for these people who are, have PTSD and nightmares and scars on their body that they can't explain. And they're like freaking out. And often at that point, they will stop. They're like, that's it. <laughs> and they live in this sort of state of denial and fear because they just don't want to explore this any further. It scares them. But if they face their fear and move beyond that, this is when it starts becoming much more benevolent. And they start having full-on conscious contact. And they're taken to the engine room, told how the craft works, or to the control room and told how to fly the craft. And yeah, they're the nicest people. They have a spiritual transformation. And almost all the contactees I've interviewed are just, I mean, they give you the shirt off their back. They are kind people, really moral people, and very psychic too. This is something I see over and over again. People come away from their encounters with the ability to heal or do, uh, say, astral travel, or they start having precognition or past life recall or all kind, a wide variety, channeling. That's not uncommon too. I'm like, wow. The more I look, because I came into this field like, this is bad. <laughs> I was kind of of David Jacobs' viewpoint. Like they're here to take over. You know, they are, this is not good news for us. I don't think that way at all. And, uh, you know, Barbara Lamb, she's one of my favorite researchers. She came to the same conclusion as I did. John Mack, even Bud Hopkins felt, was very optimistic about the out outcome of all of this. I think they are teachers. They're watchers. They're trying to help us in a sort of, laissez-faire way. They're not gonna step in and solve all our problems. That's up to us. That wouldn't help us at all if they just did everything for us. No, not at uh, all. So I, yeah, I'm, I think it's great news for us. <laughs> and the more I look into it, I, the more I realize, well, this is benevolent because I don't have any accounts of like outright sadism or torture. I'm not gonna say they're all our space brothers either. Um, I just want to make that point because I know some people who have had encounters that were mentally and emotionally damaging to them. 
uh, there was a guy in Texas. Uh, he was not happy about his encounters. He, they were all shrouded in missing time. He recalled them under hypnosis. It was always these physical exams. Sometimes they were painful, but they did heal him at one point. They healed. They took him on board and they're like, what's this in, in your kidney? There's these objects. Are they there for your health? He said, no, those are kidney stones. They're actually damaging me. They need to be removed. And they said, oh, well, we can do that. And they removed them. And later he had his, what turned out to be one of his final abductions. And the, this gray walks up to him and says, hi, my name's Nelda. I am a, a female gray. And I am the highest ranking female on this craft. And I just wanted to thank you for participating in our project and let you know that we are done with you and aren't you happy? And the guy, his name was Andrew said, no, I'm mad as hell. <laughs> and she's like, well, what's mad? What, what's hell? What do you mean? She didn't understand our really strong fear response. So he had to explain it to her. And she's like, oh yeah, we have trouble with your guys' emotions. So sometimes their emotions are a little bit muted perhaps, or subtle. And uh, they don't quite understand our fear-based thinking. Uh, and people actually do give agreement to have these encounters. And those who say, oh no, you know, I never gave agreement to this, find out later that they did. And uh, that it, this is something that they agreed to, but we compartmentalize our consciousness to such a degree that ETs will come and you know, interact with the person and they're talking to our, the whole of our mind, including our subconscious or our superconscious, our, you know, the id, the ego and the superego. Whereas people are living only in this sort of tiny portion of their mind, which is the sphere-based conscious part. That's true. And I found that it, I, I would think that is probably why people are the most frightened. Um, running into something that doesn't look like you, it just came down in a UFO. I mean, I could see where people come from on that. But like yeah. I said, given time, they usually evolve past that. Yeah, I always ask people, like, do you think this was evil? You know, what's your take on this? Would you, uh, if you could turn back time, would you say, no, I don't want a part of this, and I wish it never happened? Almost none will say that. I would say it's about one in 50 will say that. Uh, so, you know, it does turn up. Some are like, yeah, I hate it. You know, and I'm never going to like this. And I wish they would just go away. Uh, but most of them, no. They feel like, and this can be a mixed bag for some people. Uh, but the ones who work through it, who have gone, you know, through all their encounters and come out the other side and are now really working hard feel like this is benevolent and that this is something they wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And many of them, and this is not at all uncommon, call them family or friends and look upon them very fondly and have extreme loyalty to them. Feel like they are one together with them 
or of ET heritage. So, uh, in fact, the ETs will say that often to contactees. You are one of us. You, you were us in a past life. You are just incarnating in human form to help complete this mission to uplift humanity. And I've heard that before, too. Yeah, it's not uncommon. I think I got one more here from him. Yeah, okay. The reported behavior in thousands of alien abduction reports contradicts the hypothesis of genetic and scientific experimentations of humans by an advanced race. I don't see that. I don't think it contradicts that theory at all. Yeah, and who says they're all scientists? Um, they never said that. <laughs> some of them might be tourists. Um, some of these might be archaeologists. Some of, I think there's good evidence to speak towards that, actually. And ETs people are dealing with might be like what we would consider police officers or soldiers or doctors. I mean, all, we all have our own area of expertise and interests and our own agendas and goals. And I think they do as well. And to lump them all as scientists, I think is presumptuous because I, there's lots of cases that you can march out to sort of support any theory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's easy to do. There's lots of cases out there. I'll call them miners because there's case after case where they're hovering over copper mines, iron mines, uranium mines, um, you name it. They are there hovering over mines and taking our materials, landing. Humanoids are being seen, affecting the mines physically. That speaks to, I think, one of their many, many agendas. Uh, it's clear that they're very interested in our nuclear materials and how we're handling it because they're hovering over every darn nuclear base out there, any nuclear submarines, any nuclear ships, nuclear missile sites, they are there. And when people are taken on board, that's one of the big messages. It's like the dangers of nuclear proliferation and nuclear war. So there's multiple agendas. And I think they are very scientific in a lot of ways. The thing that happens most when people are taken on board, and this is the most common onboard UFO experience, is being physically examined. So that speaks again to something I think we would do. Um, and again, it points towards these being extraterrestrials, biological beings like us. And when people are, go on board a craft, they smell odors. I did a whole study of this, and it's often what we would term organic odors. Whitley Strieber talked about how the UFO he was taken on board smelled like a dirty locker room. He talks about how the ETs smell like cinnamon or woodsy, some people say, or you know, they can smell a body odor and organic odors. And this again points towards them being organic beings. Absolutely. And I fall right in line with you on that because he actually asked to smell that entity just so he could 
I don't know if it was a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, but later recalled the smell. So it was almost like a knowing to him. Yeah, yeah, smell is so connected to memory anyway. Uh, so uh, I've heard that many, many times people describe these organic smells. And it finally dawned on me. I'm like, let's, let's do a study of UFO odors. Because <laughs> there was nothing out there that I could find. And uh, so I collected like 50 cases. And yep, organic odors figure prominently in these cases. And I got to give you a lot of credit because I got to say, you got to be one of my favorite researchers because you come up with such unique topics. Um, for example, the UFO investigator's disease, um, UFOs over graveyards. These are things that a lot of people wouldn't even think of. And you've come up with them and done your research and written about them. And I'm very impressed with that. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, now, the, the graveyard thing really was kind of shocking. Uh, and I remember reading a, about a case in West Virginia where it was hovering over graveyards and landing and affecting the grave that was newly placed. Like, man, oh man, I think I remember Jim and Cora Lorenzen talking about that. So I looked it up and yeah, sure enough, they had a case where UFO was hovering over a funeral home repeatedly. And then I found a case by Jalen Hynek where these people were driving by a graveyard and there was a UFO hovering over it and they stalled the car, they paralyzed the people and finished whatever it is they were doing that apparently they did not want these witnesses to see and then took off. And I got a number of cases from Raymond Fowler and I started digging deep. I found a bunch of cases. Yeah, graveyard. <laughs> I'm not sure what exactly they're doing there. I suspect they are harvesting genetic material, which lives not long after death and is viable. But someone else said, well, maybe they are take, you know, retrieving implants. Like, wow, I didn't even think of that. And some, someone's like, well, maybe they're visiting, you know, it's connected to the soul of a person. And, uh, you know, it was another thing I hadn't really thought of. Uh, there's different, you know, you start going down the avenue of speculation, and I'm, which I hesitate to do, but I can say for sure that the graveyard connection is there and they are landing and humanoids are being seen and they are physically affecting some of these graves. I think it would be a great place to do CE5 work, do a UFO stakeout. And I'd really love to know if some of these graves that are being specifically targeted, who these people are, do they have a UFO history? So much room for research in this field. And that's one area that I think we've got a lot of questions still surrounding it. Like I said, I'm very impressed with some of the unique topics you come up with, that being one of them. Uh, the Alien Zoo was another one. You've got schoolyard encounters. You And, you know, mainly people have heard of, like, the Rue Zimbabwe case. But not a lot of the other ones. And you managed to track down a ton of them. Yeah, over a hundred. And I have to tell you, I can almost double that. I'm going to have to put out a new edition of that book. Because I, you know, I heard about the Rua Zimbabwe case, and I instantly thought of Westall High School in Melbourne, Australia. And then I was like, "Well, wait about, wait a second. There's the Broadhaven case in Wales, 
again, a UFO lands next to the playground. ETs get out. And uh, I started digging. I'm like, oh, here's a case in Florida. Crestview Elementary, 200 kids and teachers. UFO land again, right next to the playground. I found 100 cases. And in one third of these cases, there are landings or humanoids. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. And these are all daylight encounters, which are fairly rare and very low level, 100 feet and long lasting. These are not normal encounters at all. You know, what's most unusual about them is they're really widely viewed. We got 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 400 kids seeing this stuff, and not just kids. All the cases have teachers too. So you can't say, oh, you know, kids can't trust them. They're, you know, invisible playmates, blah, blah, blah. blah. No, teachers who are very well educated, that's their job, are seeing it too. And you gotta love the why don't they land on the White House lawn argument. Well, they seem to be appearing before a ton of people. Is there really a need to appear on the White House lawn when they're making themselves widely known? Look at the Phoenix Lights incident, for example. Exactly. And they actually did a, a flyby over the Capitol in 1952. Exactly. And again, after that, and I think they probably would have landed if we hadn't chased plane, you know, scrambled jets, chased them. And we were on a uh, sort of a policy at that point of, you know, being quite hostile towards them and trying to shoot them. Ah, they would defend shoot them down. <laughs> yeah, Frank Fraschino, I love his work. He's like one of the few researchers I really admire because, you know, just the facts kind of guy. And I love that because some, there's a lot of shoe fitting and cherry picking in this field and people pick a hypothesis and they start like looking for the evidence that matches it. That's not science. That's not how you do research at all. And uh, the I think, thing is, if you're looking for something specific, you're going to find it. But this field, it has a lot of oddity to it. And whether yeah. that be somebody making stuff up or actually experiencing it, you will have 17 cases out of the thousands or millions of the ones there are that support your hypothesis. It seems to be very confusing. Yeah, and another thing that bothers me about this field, I was so naive when I got involved in this. I'm like, wow, this is interesting, aliens. There's a cover-up, and this is no joke. Our own government and governments across the world are using our own money and a lot of it, and a lot of time, a lot of energy to not only study the subject, but to cover it up, to attack witnesses make them feel like idiots, accuse them of drug use, of lying, of misperceiving. And uh, it's really unfortunate because this is serious stuff. I mean, people get their hands on physical evidence. That can be really dangerous. Government whistleblowers have died over this. This is absolutely serious. And it goes beyond just a cover-up. They are introducing false information disinformation and misinformation into this field, putting forth a alien threat narrative uh, and just lying, lying, lying. And it's really muddying the waters. So it's hard to draw solid conclusions sometimes. You really have to be careful. 
and I've noticed that too. Like you have Richard Doty who was <laughs> aid to do that. Exactly. A primary example who's still being quoted, you know, widely by many researchers and listened to. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if this is the kind of guy we really want to look to for information. And while I do think disclosure is a really hot topic and a cutting edge of this field, I don't know how profitable it's going to be or how much information that's actually valid we're going to get out of it because our government, the US government for sure, and most of the major superpowers as we will call them, have a dismal, heinous, abhorrent, awful history when it comes to telling the truth on this subject, have been caught in lies over and over and over and over. They're not going to tell the truth about this. And these little drip, drip disclosures, everyone gets all excited about. And I'm frankly offended for them to say, oh, we think it might, might be extraterrestrial. It's probably Chinese, probably, probably balloons. It might even be us, but maybe extraterrestrial. We've got 144 cases and no evidence that it's extraterrestrial. Like, what? You know, they know. They absolutely know, no, no. So it's disingenuous and it's pissing me off. <laughs> There's no other way to say it other than, man, right. oh man, guys. It's on here, Preston. It's all right. I got the on my stuff. You know, and even with the media, as you just brought up, it's still a laughing matter to some of them. You still hear the X-Files music in the background. I mean, it. I'm right there with you. It kind of pisses me off, too. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. I will say it has that. It's gotten better, but you still get that one-off person who's just cocky and bagging on. I mean, it's just pick yeah. up a book. <laughs> okay. Occasionally, I get the opportunity to go on TV. And, you know, decades ago, because I've been in this field for almost 35 years, Whenever they put me on, I'd, my face would be tilted. There'd be this purple light and a little kind of black and white hypnotizing thing behind me and just made to look kooky. And then they bring on a debunker and be like, this person is, you know, <laughs> they'd attack you. They would attack you if they couldn't attack your case. And oh, that absolutely. has gone away. That, that we don't, the debunkers are not, I don't want to say they're gone, but they don't have a leg to stand on. No, there's no more Philip Glass or Michael Shermer was pretty, he's pretty skeptical. But you know, the thing I've found about him, as skeptical as he is, he's a very nice guy. I have, I have seen him on like a specific documentary where he was talking with an alien abductee who was very pissed off that she had to talk to him. And once she did, she found out he was very nice. He just doesn't buy it. And my argument against him would be, how much of the research have you read? Yeah, I mean, really, just look into the Hudson Valley wave. If, explain that to me. Explain the Phoenix Lights. Look at the Topanga Canyon wave. What happened in Belgium? The huge wave in France in 1954. Withville, Virginia. <laughs> I mean, there's case after case after case that you can 
explode any skeptics. Skeptics have not done their homework, period, the end. Uh, it's really, really hard to get them to look at the evidence. Yeah, because it's always a bug or a bird. Even Dr. Alan Hynek started out skeptical. He is one of my heroes as well. And he completely flipped on that. Yeah, boy, I, I, he's definitely one of my heroes too. You know, as an astronomical consultant for Project Blue Book, he was there from the beginning when this, you know, quote, the modern age of UFOs. And he learned early on that Blue Book was a farce because every time he'd get a good case, they wouldn't let him research it. And anytime it was obviously Venus, they'd be like, go down there and interview the witnesses. He said, like, why? And it was ridiculous. I remember there was one case, Project Blue Book is such a joke. There was a schoolyard encounter over Beverly High School where a group of 10 adults saw a UFO hovering right over the school, 50 feet above it. There were two others a little bit higher. At one point, one of the witnesses waved at the craft. It swooped down, came about 20 feet over the three of their heads. One of them was so badly frightened, she soiled her pants. And uh, the, they called the police. The police saw them too. They were visibly shaken. And Raymond Fowler investigated this case. And Blue Book comes along and to investigate it. And they didn't go there. They didn't interview any of the witnesses. They did no real investigation. And their conclusion was that the witnesses saw Venus. Venus is not going to make a person pee their pants. Venus is not going to make police officers shake. <laughs> it was right over the school, 50 feet above the school. Venus. Ugh. Project Blue Book is such a joke. Yeah, that right along with like the Condon Committee. Yeah, there was another case with Project Blue Book where a military officer had just completed flight school. He's driving through Nevada and came upon three landed saucers. Got out of his car, walked up to them, and they took off. And Project Blue Book said, we need to investigate the mental stability of this officer. And they spent a lot of time trying to make him look psychologically unstable and did, had no interest in what he actually saw. That was a case that really disgusted Hynek. Uh, that's so. a huge disservice to just everybody involved. You're pretty much pulling a guy crazy when yeah. that doesn't actually seem to be the case. That was another schoolyard case by coincidence that got Heineck out of Blue Book, <laughs> the Hillsdale, Michigan case at Hillsdale College. A UFO hovers for two hours and actually lands next to the college. 80-some students and school administrators saw it. Police were called, they saw it too. It was there for hours. And Heineck was called in to investigate it. And he's interviewing people and it was a media circus and they wanted answers. And he's like, just got there. He was like three days into the investigation when a press conference is called. And he's like, well, you know, I'm not sure what people saw. You know, it's clear they saw something. Uh, there's several possible explanations. And one of them might be swamp gas. And the press seized on that term and says, oh, it's swamp gas. Blue Book calls it swamp gas, which infuriated the witnesses who knew that it wasn't. <laughs> and this you know, representative 
Ford, who was, you know, a representative for Michigan, a congressional representative, called for an investigation. And uh, this led to the dissolution of Project Blue Book. They got out of the UFO business like a, a year or two later with the help of the so-called Condon Committee, <laughs> oh, which took all their cases from Blue Book, by the way. Well, yeah. And mm. what's interesting is if they do open up another office like they were talking about doing, I feel like it's going to be the same exact thing. Yeah, it, mm, we've got the ammunition now. I think we've got an army of UFO researchers who are just chomping at the bit to sort of you know, turn the narrative to really like, okay, if you want to investigate it, let's move beyond sightings for one thing. Let's look into these landing cases. Let's look into Roswell. Roswell is the case that will not die. That's a very good uh, argument. Actually. And uh, let's look into the where the meat is, the contactees, people who are being regularly taken on board. There is much more pay dirt there than in your distant sighting of a light in the sky. Uh, and it just shocks me to think that this is what the Pentagon disclosure is all about. 144 sightings, like sightings. Okay, great. That's, you know, sightings are interesting and I still research them. But to me, I focus most of my research on actual contact cases, because that's where we learn, you know, what we're dealing with here, who we're dealing with here, and what their agenda is, and where this phenomena is heading towards. And I can tell you, hands down, it's heading towards open official contact. We're gonna have a, a much closer contact at some point with all humanity. And that's why I focus on that as well with my podcast. I could go over UFO case after UFO case, but you know, the contact is where it's at. You're going to learn a lot that way. Yep. I, I could not agree more. And a lot of contactees are being, you know, not only given warnings, which is very common, or being taught spiritual ability, which is very common, or being told how to fly the craft or how the craft works and how to move off fossil fuels but they're being told that open contact is coming i think that's the whole purpose of ufo waves like the phoenix lights gulf breeze hudson valley and so forth i think that's why that we have the schoolyard encounters where they show themselves to children in a very overt way i just did a whole study on another really unusual type of encounters <laughs> This is uh, one of my most recent books, uh, UFOs at the drive-in, where UFOs are showing themselves to hundreds of people at a time at drive-in theaters. I kept running into cases. I ran into three in a row when writing UFOs over Colorado. And I'm like, uh-oh, this sounds like the schoolyard thing. This, could this be a UFO attractor? Is this another part of their agenda? to show themselves off. And absolutely it is. I found a hundred cases all across the US, starting in 1950, all the way to the present day, where they come down and hover right over the movie screen. Not kidding, right above it, or to the right or the left, and put on a display. They will stay there for 
five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, or uh, flash their lights, or release smaller craft, or dart around. Man, oh man, it yeah, that's is what I mean about obvious those display. Unique, those unique cases you come up with. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I can't say a lot of other researchers would have come up with driving movies and UFOs. Yeah, kind of yeah, slid I under the impressed. radar. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked myself to, to find it out this pattern. But I can tell you our government knows for sure, for sure. There's a case that took place in Bakersfield in 1952 at the terrorist drive-in where there was a military officer in the audience. UFO came right down over the screen, flashed its lights, took off. Everyone started calling the local police station and Sheriff, I think his name was Sheriff Leroy Hatfield, <laughs> came, you know, started fielding all these calls. He's like, hang up, I'm coming down. And he went to the theater. There was still 100 people there long after the movie had ended. And he took down the testimony of like 30 people. And they all wanted to give their testimony, but he's like, listen, I've got enough of your testimony to say that you saw something. I've got the descriptions. And so he wrote up a report and he sent it to the local Air Force base, the closest one, which just happened to be Edwards Air Force Base. And don't get me started on Edwards because they're neck deep involved in this subject. At any rate, it was picked up by a Blue Book officer and the report was marked action. You can find this online. Uh, it's a report marked action. And it was written up and sent the next day to, get this, the commanding general at Wright-Patterson in Ohio, which is UFO Central, and to Ente Air Force Base in Colorado, where we track all the incoming and outgoing traffic, and to the director of intelligence at Washington, D.C., went to the highest levels of government the next day. So can't tell, and here they are saying, ah, you guys are liars, UFOs aren't real, and they're studying it, and we know this. The cover-up is not speculation, it's proven fact. Absolutely, as well as the black budget, like where a ton of our money goes, and people should be a lot more pissed off about it, and they're not. Uh, some people are. But the vast majority of people, some of them just don't seem to care. And I never understood yeah. that because it's a very interesting subject. I personally love it. Yeah, I've talked to people about that. Like, you know, my family initially were like, Preston, stop studying UFOs. I'm like, they're interesting. No, they're not real. I'm like, yes, they are. Read this book. I don't want to read this book. And we would argue, it split my family down the middle because some had seen, some didn't, some were interested, most weren't. Like, it has nothing to do with me. Why should I care? I'm like, everything to do with you. And my argument is, if you think UFOs aren't affecting your life, you're wrong. Because the fact is, we have this technology. We have free energy. We have the ability to get off of fossil fuels. We don't need this energy crisis. We could solve the environmental crisis. This economic crisis is largely manufactured and it comes down to greed and power and corruption and this UFO cover-up. We all don't need to work all day just to survive. There's enough food, money, shelter for everybody. We are being 
essentially enslaved. There is, I don't think our world leaders have our best interests in mind. Some probably do, but there's this secret government. These one percenters, these guys know who they are. They're on my naughty list. <laughs> these are the, you know, the uh, pharmaceutical industry who are pushing drugs on us. Advertise medicine should not be a business. That's ridiculous. The oil industry is making huge profits, billions of dollars, and we don't even need that. The banking industry is choking us with their greed. The insurance industry, these guys are building up some really bad karma. It's time that humanity guides their actions on love and truth and compassion and goodwill. We are all connected, and yet we are being essentially enslaved by a very small portion of people who are not nice. They are, should not be in power. It's time to rise up and stand for our autonomy and say enough is enough. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we have got to change the way society is structured. To have these sociopathic people running our country is not tenable. So it's no wonder we're dealing with such you know, widespread divisiveness and hatred and disasters and environmental collapse and economic upheavals. Ah, oh, you're getting me fired up, Tarl. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. And I think a lot of people are starting to notice that, little by little. Yeah, people are definitely waking up for sure. That's one thing that I'm really happy about this recent disclosure event by the Pentagon, where they did actually take that little baby step and say that, hmm, you could tell it hurt them to say the word extraterrestrial. And I think they put it in the appendix of their little report there. Yes. Uh, at the very end, and they said it once. But they said it, and it brought a lot of new people into the field, and it gave a level of legitimacy to this subject that we haven't seen in decades. And it put this on the front page news on all the major news channels, all of them talked about it. And it, it's a sea change in the way people view this phenomena. I think we're very close. And the, I think the only reason they did it, honestly, is because they had to, because <laughs> they were at the point where if they did not come clean to some degree, people would be like, shut up. We don't believe the word you're saying. You've lost all credibility. We know you're lying. So I think they did it kicking and screaming, knowing that this is for their benefit, not ours. This is so that they can retain control of people's perception of this subject which I think is why they're spinning the narrative towards an alien threat narrative when the evidence doesn't support that at all. No, it doesn't. I mean, when you can write a book about 300 cases of extraterrestrial healing, it does not seem to point to that. Yeah, and I have to say, it's not just me. Bud Hopkins had healing cases. He never wrote about them, but I cornered him. <laughs> at a convention and he he admitted it and david jacobs for all his you know viewing this phenomena through a, a lens of fear i would say 
has really remarkable healing cases. John Mack, Edith Fiore, Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, Timothy Beckley, you know, all of them, pretty much without exception, Philip Mantle, I mean, I could go on, have multiple healing cases. This is a regular feature of the UFO phenomenon. It gets almost no publicity. Instead, it's like, hey, I'm being kidnapped. Fear, fear sells. And that's unfortunate. And one of the things that I brought up earlier in the podcast I was recording was these people are always returning. They're not just taken and gone forever. They're brought back. If it was a malevolent thing, they just beat the shit out of you and take you away forever. Yeah. And I will, you know, add a little caveat to that because there are some cases where, I mean, there's a lot of cases of disappearing people. And I sometimes wonder about that. And there are a few scattered cases. It's statistically insignificant. But there are a few where people have been taken and not returned. Frederick Valentik uh, is one okay. example. Was that the genius guy? Uh, no, that's the pilot off the coast of Australia. Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, then there was another pilot, Felix Monkla Jr. and his partner were vectored to a UFO. They saw it on radar. The, the two blips merged. UFO flew off. And the plane was never seen again. So, and I, I have a personal case where a guy voluntarily went with the ETs. They asked, and he went with them. Uh, and I will say one lady I talked to was told by the ETs, and this is almost a direct quote, if people should start disappearing from this planet, it's being done by us for the universal good. So I think some people are being taken and probably relocated. And there's the potential for this to be done on a large scale basis if I think there's a big disaster. Because I have another case where a lady I interviewed from Louisiana had an experience where she was taken to a small town. She thought it was somewhere in South America, Mexico. She wasn't sure. She has a lot of onboard experiences, but this was a weird experience. She found herself in a, taken to a small town with these ETs, and they were removing people from this town and took about a thousand people out of this town who followed them like little sheep, you know, no questions asked, and collected about a thousand of them, maybe 2,000, because there was another craft right next to the other one. And then this volcano explodes. And uh, they lift up, collect a few more survivors. And next thing she knows, she's being put back in her home in Louisiana. She wakes up the next morning and is telling her friend about this UFO encounter and how weird it was. And her friend says, turn on the TV quick. Well, it turned off the Nevado del Ruiz volcano in Colombia had just exploded. This is 1984. Very well verified event. Some 20, I think it was 23,000 people were reported killed, buried by these you know, pyroclastic flows of mud. And I'm going to reduce that number by at least a couple of thousand because she was there. She recognized the town. She had real trauma over this. She had to go see a therapist. I asked her, what do you think happened to those people? Do you think they were returned? She says, honestly, I have no idea. And I have to 
I mean, how could you return them? How would you explain that? Where would they go? Uh, I'm guessing they were relocated. I don't know, but it's a bizarre case. And it makes me wonder if, you know, there was another large scale disaster, would ETs come down and take people off planet? And I've been told by several contactees, not just one or two, that yes, that potential is there. Did you find that with uh, some contact experience? Um, I've heard a lot of people saying that if a disaster were to occur, they were run through these scenarios to actually help people. Yeah, I included a whole chapter on that in my book on UFO healings. So I'm, I'm like, huh, these healing cases show a real benevolent side. And then I started running across cases where people were rescued from car accidents, from drowning, from weather phenomena, from assault, from various disaster scenarios. Uh, there was one case where a lady's car stalled and she couldn't get it started. There's this UFO and she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Finally, it goes away. She starts her car and right before she gets, I mean, she gets on the freeway and there's a huge accident. She felt absolutely certain she would have been in it. And another guy's driving along a highway in Colorado, spoken along at 65 miles an hour at night when a UFO appears in front of his car and shines a beam of light down on the highway and illuminates a mattress <laughs> that's right in their lane. And they just have time to swerve around it. Hmm. And they felt like their life was saved. RD6 Killer Clark. One of my favorite new researchers, she's interviewing all kinds of indigenous people across the world, had a case where a UFO hovered over a small town, I think it was Tulum, Yucatan Peninsula, around there, during a hurricane. And the whole village was about to be wiped off the map. And this giant UFO comes down and stops all the wind. It's amazing. Hmm. So, and I've got more cases like that. One lady was being assaulted by a, a rapist and a UFO shows up and swoops down towards them and scares the living daylights out of him. She was elated. She ran towards the UFO <laughs> uh, and he ran away. She felt it like it saved her life. This is a case reported to MUFON. Lots of cases like this. I'm actually planning to get on with MUFON within the next month or so. So hopefully I can start doing a little more investigation rather than just my podcast. And I, I really want to get involved with that because MUFON does a lot of good for people. Yeah, I became a field investigator for MUFON very early on. And they, you have to take a test. It's got well over 100 questions, as I recall. And it was not easy. They're like, it's a take-home test. I'm like, oh, take home. It's going to be a breeze. And there was a section on UFO history that I just went right through. I mean, I knew it. And then there was a section on photography. I'm like, hmm, this was some stuff I had to learn. Meteorology, you know, weather. Uh, I did pretty well, but there was some stuff I had to look up. And this was before the internet. So, and uh, astronomy, of course, which I just happened to be very interested in. I did really, really well. I think I missed two questions and one I accidentally 
wrong, marked the wrong answer. <laughs> I was really mad. Uh, but yeah, it was a hard test. And I did field investigating for MUFON for a while, but I eventually pulled away because the cases were just, I'd turn them in and nothing would happen. And some of these cases go into their file base and you never see them again and you can't get them back. And I know for a fact that some of these cases are actually being erased from their database uh, with MUFON and New Fork. It started to make me really angry because there was a schoolyard case I got from New Fork and I wanted to look it up again to see if I missed any details. And I couldn't find it. And uh, the reason I looked it up because I couldn't find it in my own computer. And I was sure I had saved it somewhere. So I looked again and I found it. I had done a screenshot of the report and tried to look it up again and it was erased out of the New Fork database. Hmm. And my complaint is uh, like, why? No, I haven't confronted them with it. I support MUFON actually. I think there's, it's filled with wonderful people. It really is. And I've spoken for, yeah, the local MUFON groups are great. I love them. And I've spoken for MUFON National too, and one of their national conventions. They treated me very nicely. And, but if you look at the history of UFO groups, um, it's quite chilling. The first one here in the US was AFRO by Jim and Carl Lorenzen, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. It's the first major UFO group, citizen UFO group, and it took off, it got thousands of members and they had their field investigators and it did really well. And then along comes one of their new field investigators and they found out he was a CIA agent, caught him in the act. And uh, they, they talk about this in one of their books but they caught him through this really ingenious method. Apparently he had been typing up reports on a typewriter and uh, used multiple sheets and uh, had left one of the sheets in the typewriter and they could see the imprint of what he wrote. <laughs> and they caught, they caught him <laughs> red-handed. And if you look at, what's the other one? NICAP, National Investigative Committee of Aerial Phenomena. Yeah. Totally infiltrated and fell apart. You know, a lot of infighting with, and government intelligence agents were, you know, assuming level, you know, positions of power within the organization. And MUFON has had their own troubles too with these sort of accusations. Yeah, and, I believe they, at one point they were talking about selling reports to Robert Bigelow, if I recall. Or there yeah. was that allegation. I still support MUFON. I think they're doing important work. And I think, but I, I also think that it's being closely watched. And perhaps, you know, I have no direct evidence of it, but I know some people who are really furious with and absolutely pulled out and were treated badly. And others who had a wonderful experience. Uh, so I think to some extent, it's the luck of the draw and the individual you get or I have no doubt there's government agents in there because we know that they're watching this very closely. They're watching over UFO researchers. This is not speculation. There's been some research into this. I had problems with phone tapping, with mail deliveries, with uh, email problems. And 
I think it's fairly well known in the UFO community that researchers are being surveilled. And I know some of the contactees I've interviewed have had real problems. One lady had all her hypnosis tapes stolen. Who comes into someone's house and steals just hypnosis tapes? No one. They'd take your TV, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> another, another guy I interviewed from New York, same problem. He wrote down all his encounters. Someone broke into his house and took that envelope off the mantle of his fireplace. And like, how would they even know it's there? And nothing else. Another guy took photographs and they took his photographs. Nothing else. This is ridiculous. You know, the people who get a hold of any kind of physical artifacts, same thing. So this is our government. That's our tax dollars at work. Oh, of course. Well, Preston, I, I got to tell you, it is a pleasure as always to be talking to you. I think we're going to end it here. So how can people who'd like to reach out to you reach out to you? And where can we find you? Thanks, Tarl. I appreciate it. Uh, I have a website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. If you just, you know, use the search engine and my name, I'm sure it'll take you there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My books are available on Amazon and other online retailers, bookstores near you. I've got a relatively new YouTube channel. I've actually been at it for just over maybe two years now, a year. And uh, having a lot of fun with that, putting out some of the research I've gotten in my books and so forth. Yeah, this, thanks for having me on. This is an important uh, any, subject. Anytime. I, like I said, I like you. I consider you a friend and I love what you do. If it's okay with you, I would like to, whenever you put a video out, is it okay if I put that on my Facebook page? Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm not in this for money or the fame or anything like that. I'm in this because I think it's important. I think it has a potential to save the world, literally change the world. And uh, boy, was I shocked and just bowled over when I found out UFOs were real. It was painful to find out that I was so lied to. That's why I'm doing it. It's important. I agree with you on that, Preston. <laughs> well, Preston, anytime you would like to come on, <clears throat> excuse me. Anytime you'd like to come on, just even if you're just bored one day, just reach out to me. I'll have you on anytime. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, because we didn't even get into a lot of the driving movie theater cases or the no, schoolyard I, cases. Or oh man, I think me and you can go <laughs> back and forth for hours. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, Tarl. No problem. Well, Preston, I want to thank you again, and I'll talk to you later, man. You got it. Look forward to it. See you, Preston. <laughs> Bye.